All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing here to dig deeper with you into the book of Revelation. This week, looking at the letter to the church in Philadelphia, the sixth of the seven letters written to the churches that received the first manuscript of the book of Revelation. So we are looking at Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Philadelphia was known as the gateway to the east. It was located in such a place where it had frequent earthquakes, though, as well. It was severely damaged by an earthquake as recently for John's time as 17 AD. So here is a town that had once been great and had been great numerous times, but because of its location around fault lines, it was once again in a rebuilding process. And so who is it that writes this letter to the church in Philadelphia? It is the key of David, which we have referenced in Isaiah 22, starting in verse 15. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Come, go to the steward to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, What have you to do here, and whom have you here, that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself, you who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock? Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. There you shall die, and there shall be your glorious chariots, your shame of your master's house. I will thrust you from your office, and you will be pulled down from your station. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. And they will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups to all the flagons. So here we have in Isaiah, this time where the evil steward Shebna is being tossed out, very much sounding like an airplane spin from wrestling, where you bring him up on your shoulders, you spin him around for a while and toss him off. Sounds exactly like what's going to happen to Shebna. And his place will be given to Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. Again, in the Isaiah's day, important person because Hilkiah was one of the priests under King Hezekiah. And he will have 
the key of David on his shoulder. And notice these words again that are right here in Revelation. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. He will be the one who makes the rules. He will be the one who has all the authority. Therefore, Jesus says of himself that I am the key of David. I am that authority. I open and no one can close. I close and no one can open. Dr. Brighton, in his commentary, picks up on Isaiah 22, as well as a couple of other places, to talk about this key of David. Though the key of David is not identical with the keys of death and the grave, the link is apparent. The expression key of David in Isaiah 22:22 is used with the same words as here in Revelation 3, 7. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one opens. In Isaiah, these words were spoken by the Lord to the chief steward of Hezekiah. The steward was directed to exercise complete control over the household of the king, Isaiah 22:15-24, which I read a moment ago. As possessor of the key of David, only he could open locked doors, and no one else could lock doors he opened. Jesus uses the words of Isaiah to proclaim that he is over the household of God, and that he alone has the authority to control entrance into it. He earned this authority over entrance into the kingdom by his death and resurrection. The keys of death in the grave symbolize his victory. His opened tomb shows that he has the key to open the grave for his followers to be raised, and he has shut forever the door of eternal death, the second death, as in Revelation 2.11, 20, chapter 20, verses 6 and 14, and 21.8, and then also closing the grave to those raised with him. So here it is. Jesus is talking about having all authority, just as he does at the end of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he is the one who died and is raised again. So what does he say to the church in Philadelphia? We look at verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Philadelphia's little power came from the fact that they recognized the open door in front of them, but they were not taking full advantage of the opportunity Christ was giving them. Case in point from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 8 and 9. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. And then in 2 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So we have Paul talking about this open door, this door of opportunity that the Holy Spirit opens for the gospel. This is what Jesus has done in Philadelphia. Again, a city in rebuilding. Maybe the fact that the church being planted there, being part of that rebuilding, could have been a very important thing for the establishment and the continuation of that city. But they weren't taking advantage of that opportunity to its fullest. How many other churches do the same thing in their own context? How many other churches have a door open to them, wide open, and either they don't see it or they don't realize the full potential of going through that door and what's on the other side? I, for one, have to admit that I probably had open doors in front of me that I never saw, opportunities that were there 
that I did not take full advantage of. And one of the opportunities I have taken advantage of, that open door presented to me, is this podcast. This ability to have a time to reach out from my congregation and to reach out to many different places as I see throughout looking at my podcast and the time, places where it has been. I can't remember now. I'm close to, I think, 60 different countries where there's at least been one episode downloaded of my podcast. And I believe it's in every state except Wyoming. And seeing that I have friends in Wyoming, I'm not sure why that's not the case. But we have Philadelphia being charged to take hold of that opportunity and to show this graciousness that Jesus has through this door. He says in verse 9, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus promises his followers protection from the synagogue of Satan, just as he does from all his enemies, as in Mark 13, verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. John 17, in the midst of his high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then a little later in Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 to 17. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the great promise we hear every All Saints Day about those who come out of the Great Tribulation, which we will talk about multiple times throughout our study of the book of Revelation, as that time that is right now, the time that is going on right now, and has been ever since Jesus ascended into heaven, and will go on till the end of time. Especially, we'll see that as we get into chapter 6 and the opening of the seals. But that's still another month or so away. But the great tribulation, those who come out of it, are those who are faithful to him in this time, in this world. All right, we go into verse 10, and this is one of those places where we have those great moments for the dispensationalists to strike up their head. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. This is a common proof text of the pre-tribulation rapture among dispensationalists. Jesus' promise to keep you from the hour of trial is said to prove the rapture, that Jesus does not want Christians to face the great tribulation. We hear this from J. Vernon McGee. 
It has been in the 20th century that the doctrines of eschatology have been developed more than in all previous centuries combined. Christ's final word of encouragement to his church is that it will not pass through the Great Tribulation. The church is to be removed from the world, which is its comfort and hope. When he says, keep thee from the hour, I have translated it, keep thee out of the hour of trial. By any stretch of the imagination, you could not say that this church is going through the Great Tribulation period. I believe that the period of the Philadelphian church continues right on through to the rapture of the church. This is the church which will go out at the time of the rapture. There is a church that goes through the Great Tribulation period, and that is the apostate church, the church of Laodicea, which we will talk about next week. But that is the idea among the dispensationalists. This is one of those places where they pull out the idea that God will not have his church go through the tribulation. But again, as we go through chapter 6 and the opening of the seals, we see that everybody, Christian and non-Christian alike, are affected by the judgments in the seals. And what is this that they have done? They have kept my word about patient endurance. And what is that? They have held fast in adverse conditions. They have withstood the attacks of the synagogue of Satan. And Jesus praises them for it. And not only praises it, gives them a promise. I am coming soon. Again, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Dr. Brighton says in his commentary, the fact that this promise of the imminent coming of Christ at his parousia is given in this letter to the church, Christians of Philadelphia, a letter that deals with the mission of the church and the end of this world, indicates the close relationship between the church's mission and the nearness of the end. The completion of that mission and the Lord's return are linked. That is, when God decides that the mission is completed, then the Lord will come as we see in Matthew 24, 14, and chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, where we talk about going out into all creation and making disciples of all nations. And that is what we pray for, is that every nation and person on earth may hear the gospel, that they may hear the good news. Why? Because that is the promise of when the end comes is that the end will come when the mission has been completed. And we'll see this again in the seals, especially again. And going through right now and really focusing on the seals as I'm making the notes for this podcast, I'm getting these over and over again through this week. But the saints under the altar in heaven crying out, when will we be, be avenged? That is, when will the number of the saints be completed. That is when God's mission is over. And then the end will come. And then we have the promise to those who conquer. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall they go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Crespin writes in his commentary, a threefold name the faithful believer will then bear, that of God the Heavenly Father, of the Heavenly Jerusalem, and of Christ the Redeemer himself. Every Christian is a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Having put on Christ in baptism, he is in God's hands throughout eternity. 
The name of the new Jerusalem, the of the city above, he bears to indicate that he has his citizenship above, where there will be joy at his right hand forevermore. We again are reminded of the eternal promises for those who hold fast to the faith, for those who continue to keep the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Those who come out of the great tribulation, making their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. Because it is only through the blood of the Lamb that we are saved. And it is only through the blood of the Lamb that we have an ear to hear what Jesus is saying to the churches. All right, that's it for this week as we look at the letter to the Philadelphians. Next week, the final letter of the seven in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The letter to the church in Laodicea. And there are many ties for the church in Laodicea to today's church. And we will see those as we come through because there are, unfortunately, a lot of churches that are lukewarm, as Jesus says to the Laodiceans. But as we finish this week, we look to the church in Philadelphia that has the open door in front of them, that Jesus is encouraging them to walk through. And we look at ourselves, in our own churches, in our own communities. Where is the door open for us to proclaim Christ in our community? Until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for digging deeper with me into Revelation. And I will see you next week where I will seek to continue to strengthen you to wrestle with the theologies around you always. Amen.